Happy New Year! Yeah, can you believe it? It's here. Here we go on the first Sunday morning of 2022 in Las Vegas. Just after 8 o'clock, I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live, same time every Sunday on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. Flagship of the Vegas Gold Knights. Joining me on the show is social media director, Spencer Wiz Ostrovsky. All right, well, I didn't hear anything, but I'm assuming... Uh, the Wiz, that was the Wiz theme music, and he does have his own theme music. Social, Social distancing, distancing back. back. Uh, there we go. Social distancing back in the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studio is uh, producer extraordinaire Chris Magnum Chapman, um, who, aside from producing a number of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, is the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. Mags will be helping out with today's show as well. And the show is also streaming on the LV Sports Network, and you can watch the show on Facebook Live and YouTube. The page is called Outline. That's O U T T A L I N E. Uh, you can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Outline Fox LV. And since we are live, your calls and questions are welcome. The Fox Sports Residential Bay Coach Studio Line is 702 Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap, the day after New Year's, uh, the New Year started, um, is brought to you by Title Sponsor Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp. is the company you can turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp. Funding America, one neighborhood at a time, now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for more details. On tap, the Vegas Golden Knights ended 2021 with the best record in the Western Conference. Why are they now playing so well? Chris Chapman and David Shane of the Las Vegas Review Journal will be joining me to break it down, talk about it, and uh, see what might happen for the Vegas Golden Knights. Also, one of their stars on the shelf again. We'll talk about that as well. And... um, the running Rebels, a five-game winning streak, came to an end yesterday. It was an expected end at the Thomas and Max Center in the conference opener against San Diego State. We'll talk about that. It's bowl season, and we saw some seriously good games, and absolutely no surprises as the national championship game is now set. Believe it or not, the mountain—I um, I should say—the uh, mountain is high, but with only two games to go in the regular season, the Las Vegas Raiders control their playoff destiny. We'll talk about that. Plus, we'll break down Week 17 in the NFL and update the playoff picture. And the WNBA's Las Vegas Aces have a familiar name as their new head coach. We'll talk about that. And the NFL lost another uh, longtime great coach yesterday uh, in Dan Reese. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll say goodbye to him as well. That is what's on tap if you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own. Choose a company you can trust Residential Bank Corp. Funding America one neighborhood at a time. And right now Central Bank Corp is offering Nevada home buyers $2,500 towards closing costs for anyone and everyone who qualifies for any home financing purchase loan in the state of Nevada. Call 702-964-5720 for greater details. And hey guys, before we get into uh, the nightcap, just wanted to first and foremost thank you guys for a great 2021, or I should say as good as it can be. And um I want to know how you guys are doing, man. How was your, uh, Chris, back in the studio, how was your, uh, how was your uh, uh, New Year's? It was pretty uneventful. We we really didn't do a whole lot. Obviously, Golden Knights game in the afternoon. Uh, they took care of business against the Ducks, but uh, got home probably about 4.30 from, from the game and uh, really didn't do a whole lot after that. Sat on the couch, watched a lot of television, um, and then about 11.45, got in the car, went to a nice secluded area, watch the fireworks over the strip, and I was in bed by 1220, so um, definitely not, uh, you know, when you get to be in your 40s and you've lived here long enough, you don't really take too much interest in heading down to the strip, so, uh, you know, and obviously with COVID and all that stuff, no no parties or anything, and I've never really been a big New Year's Eve party guy anyway, I just don't like being on the road after, although I, I, I when I was single, obviously, I, I would spend a couple nights out uh having some fun on New Year's Eve, but uh, now it's it's just another night for me. I watch a lot of Guy Fieri on, on Food Network. Don't know how, how that happened, but my New Year's Eve was spent watching Golden Girls reruns and uh, Guy Fieri, so uh, kind, kind of fun for me. 
that that's that's my enjoyment, I guess, for New Year's Eve. That's great. I'm a Twilight Zone marathon guy. Every New Year's, I seem to watch the same episodes of the Twilight Zone over and over again. I don't know why, but I actually, like you, Chris, I I stay home for the most part nowadays. We've been living in Vegas since before. Been down on the ship a couple times for New Year's Eve, but have not had an opportunity this year. I couldn't pass up. My good friend Brian Shapiro actually gave me his hotel room for New Year's Eve night on uh, on Friday night, so I could go stay down there. I actually like twenty twenty sixth floor. Got to capture all the fireworks. Put it on Facebook. It was really really cool. And then I just kind of uh, actually went down, gambled, played little machines for a little bit, and went to bed. And then uh, enjoyed watching football and stuff in Manila Bay. It was pretty cool. But um. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree with you. You definitely want to be careful in Las Vegas. And there was a lot of people out. You wouldn't know that uh, we're still in a pandemic. At least it didn't look that way at Mandalay Bay or uh, Westgate Two Casinos. I solicited on uh, New Year's Eve. Spence, what about you, man? Uh, did you get out of Pahrump, or is that where you spent New Year's Eve? We did get out of the house. I went out to the Strip uh, earlier before kind of all the craziness you know, for New Year's happened probably around eight o'clock. And then I ended up going out, uh, you know, with some friends for some drinks. It was fun. I, I felt like a kid again, even though I am a kid. I was, I was about, about to say, Spencer, you still better damn well be, be enjoying New Year's Eve. Just graduated college. For, you got a few more years to still enjoy it. It's Magnum and I that need to hide out. And me really, especially. Um, listen, uh, talking about that, and, I, and I'm looking forward to 2022. It's been a crazy couple of years, guys. Um, I'm hoping this gets us over the hump. And one of the things I'm really excited about right now, and I think I, I know Chris is, I know Spencer is, and our guest who should be joining us, uh, if he's not on already, any second now, David Shane of the Las Vegas Review Journal. But um, it is time for Nightcap, and we'll talk all about these Vegas Golden Knights. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Well, the puck does start here, and uh, uh, it starts here again today for 2022 at 1 o'clock. This afternoon, they'll be playing the Winnipeg Jets, uh, the second game of an eight-game homestand at T-Mobile Arena. Real nice way to start the year with all these home games, and what a way to finish the year especially after they won, you know, won one of their first five games, and now to be the, the, to have the best record in the entire uh, Western Conference is pretty damn cool. Joining us now on the Residential Bank Corp uh, studio line and, of course, on um, StreamYard is David Shane. He covers the beat for the Vegas Golden Knights for Las Vegas Review Journal on Sunday morning, second of the New Year, second of January figures. And, of course, uh, Chris Magnum Chapman back in studio. The producers can join in also as Chris serves as the locker reporter for Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network. Um, guys, uh, it has been nothing short of spectacular to watch these guys play, come together, a bunch of new faces, um, and yet some familiar ones that are doing a great job. And I'm just going to throw one name out there to get it all started. A guy that we have absolutely watched come into his own, playing at NHL All-Star Caliber. David, did you expect this kind of performance from Chandler Stevenson at the beginning of the season? Well, first off, Happy New Year to you and everybody listening. Um, I don't think anybody saw this, per se. I think, you know, we got a taste of it last year. We saw what he could do uh, on that top line between Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty. And he's proven, you know, this year, even without those guys, that he can still produce points. I think that's maybe the, you know, the surprise or the impressive thing, you know, about his performance this year. But... You know, I think when the Knights traded for him, uh, we saw some glimpses of offensive flash. They certainly, you know, felt like if they got him out of Washington, put him in a different role, that he would be able to show, you know, that he has those skills in his toolbox. I think he's done that. But I don't think anybody saw, you know, close to a point a game player like we've seen so far this year. I, I think everybody would be lying if they said that. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. 34 points. 10 goals, 24 assists. The closest guy to him is Riley Smith, who's got 26 points. He has one more goal, but 15 assists. And, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy. No matter what, where they seem to put him, Chandler Stevenson is a producer. And he really has come into his own this year in the National Hockey League. He's just another valuable entity to this Golden Vegas Golden Knights team that is already stacked and loaded with talent. And speaking of his line mates, as you mentioned on the, on the top line, the, the, the current production line, although there's a few of them now, 
but with Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone and him centering that line has really turned out to be magical. And, of course, Max Pacioretty, uh, David, has only played less than half of the games of a lot of the players. 16 games this year, and pretty damn impressive that in 16 games, he's got 21 points, 12 goals, 9 assists. But Thursday, he had surgery on his wrist. They list him as day-to-day, but realistically, Pete DeBoer said this could be a while. What do you know about that? Yeah, and I mean, I'll go back to just the stats. What's even crazier about it is he played the game in L.A., probably clearly hurt, and tried to play through, we would assume, you know, whatever wrist injury led to his surgery. So that's one game. And then the other game was he got hurt in Los Angeles in October. So it's really essentially he did all that in like 14 games, if you really kind of think about it, you know, in that sense, which makes it even more impressive. Uh, I mean, as far as the injury... The team put out a statement that said he was out indefinitely. Uh, Pete DeBoer, when asked about it yesterday, gave a little bit more of a, I I don't know if I would call it a clearer timeline. He he called it a week-to-week long-term injury. Um, But, I, you know, and this is just me kind of speculating, I think, more than anything, as opposed to, you know, having any sort of concrete, you know, evidence or proof of of this. But, you know, the way that they've, term that indefinitely um, feels unique to me and it feels like it almost gives them maybe an out for later down the road if they want to maybe do some salary cap uh, fun stuff with Jack Eichel you know being on the horizon and having to come back they've clearly got to clear money they have to figure that out there's been a lot of speculation in different names and, and potential ways for them to do that but if seven million dollars is going to go on long-term IR which it appears that Pacioretty could or would do, you know, that certainly makes things a little easier and different salary cap wise for, you know, down the road once the Knights face that conundrum when uh, Jack Eichel's ready to to return. Yeah, I I think we all know that down the road at some point, based on the star power this team has and the salaries that the players on this team command, we are going to see some changes, but that's part of sports we've seen in the past couple of years pretty interesting over these next couple of games as we're going to see a lot of familiar faces come down, most notably next Saturday, Marc-Andre Fleury and the Chicago Blackhawks, which is going to be a real exciting for all the fans here for the return of Marc-Andre Fleury. Pretty cool. But yeah, this team is, is star-studded right now. Um, a lot of players, and Patch Reddy being out, it hurts them. But with everyone else stepping up and a lot of the younger players that because of the injuries, because of COVID, had gotten the opportunity to play in the National Hockey League, this team... David, is this the deepest the Vegas Golden Knights have been since uh, the, the inception? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think we saw that, you know, in the first half of the season here. I don't think they would be in a position uh, or would have been able to keep their head above water, uh, especially when the first wave of injuries hit. You know, had guys like LeCision, Rombeard, Paul Cotter, you know, not come up and provided timely goals. But even beyond that, you know, you mentioned – you know, somebody like Chandler Stevenson, and yeah, we think of him as a top-line guy and all that, but, you know, the fact that he was able to continue his scoring pace, uh, a guy like Nick Waugh, you know, we've seen him with career highs and goals and points so far. We saw him fill in more than capably you know, on the second line when William Carlson was injured with his broken foot for a little bit more than a month. So, yeah, it's been, it's been a number of guys, and we've seen it on defense, too. You know, somebody like the emergence of Nick Hague, and I, I understand that he's, you know, hurt right now, hasn't played the last couple of games, but, you know, his ability to step up in that top pair role, you know, alongside Alex Petrangelo with Alex Martinez hurt, you know, those are, the, those are the types of developments and the types of things that, you know, teams need. Uh, it's interesting. I've said this to other folks and, you know, other radio shows and different things like that, but, you know, in, in some ways, you know, the, the adversity that they faced early on, can and probably is a good thing, especially that they're able to make their way through it. I think back to, you know, a few years ago with the Lightning, and they set all those records, and everything was smooth sailing for them that season. And once they hit a couple speed bumps in the playoffs, they didn't have a response, and they didn't know how to answer that. And we saw them get eliminated by Columbus. You know, give me a team that's, that's, you know, gone through that adversity and had to face that every time over a team that's had you know, smooth sailing. So in that sense, I, I think it hardens and it toughens the Knights. We'll just see, you know, the next few months here if, if they're able to, you know, withstand the war of attrition, I guess. 
He is David Shane. He uh, covers the beat for the Vegas Gold Knights for the Las Vegas Review Journal. And we're talking about the Knights right now. One of the guys we mentioned briefly, uh, Nick Waugh, another Vegas Golden Knight that has now reached his career, a career milestone as he uh, gets his seventh goal last night, or I should say um, Friday, to open the scoring. Uh, but the key is, is that was his seventh goal. That's the most he's had in one season. And we keep hearing this with Vegas Golden Knights players that come here from either other teams. They, they keep having career seasons. And it really seems like this team, the makeup of this team, and I also want to give Pete DeBoer some credit, really seems to bring out the best in most of the players that play for him, David. Yeah, and I, you know, it's a, it's a great point you bring up. And I don't know if it's, you know, a system thing in terms of style of play where maybe, you know, scouts have done a really good job of identifying guys that their particular system. It could be something like that. It could just be environment, too. You know, where you're around a team that's competitive and winning, it elevates everybody else's play. Um, and then I'm sure there's some development stuff that goes into it, too. You know, we talked about the young guys and, you know, the job that they've done and, and being able to come up and, you know, provide timely goals, provide timely, you know, ice time and minutes for them, you know, with guys hurt. So, you know, there's a lot of different aspects that, that go into being a good team and a good organization, a good franchise. So far, they've, they've shown all that. No, they really have. And, uh, you know, uh, T-Mobile Arena is only a few miles from a road called Charleston, but they're definitely not the Charleston Chiefs. But on Friday night, um, or I should say uh, Saturday, uh, Friday afternoon, holy cow, what was with – I know that with the Ducks and them, there's some bad blood, and that hit by Braden McNabb was kind of questionable. I don't – you know, it, it was fun to watch from a fan's perspective, but definitely a dangerous and almost, a, you know, a, a hit that you kind of cringe at. But – Wow, these teams, that's, I think, the most I've ever seen the Golden Knights mix it up in a game. Yeah, you know, and, you know, a lot of the conversation after the game was like, you know, well, how do you avoid that? And, you know, you just want to play hockey. And, you know, the Knights were clearly the better team. And it felt like the, the Ducks were gooning it up a little bit in the second period. And, you know, I mean, to me, it's more of, well, that's the response you want to see from the Knights. I'd rather not see them you know, not power from it because clearly it's about getting two points. That's the most important thing. But, you know, there's an element of sticking up for your teammates, sending a message to, you know, another team. I know I sound like a dinosaur. I know it sounds like 1970s and 80s hockey. But, <laughs> you know, the thing is, is, as long as these guys are allowed to bump into each other and it's a physical game, that element is never going to, you know, be eliminated. It's always going to be present as long as, you know, it's a contact sport and intimidation and all those things and physicality, you know, go into it. And I, I thought, you know, the Knights had the proper response. They they didn't they didn't goon it up back, I guess you could say, if, if, if that makes sense. And and I thought especially, you know, I, I did have a problem with Braden McNabb's hit. If I'm going to be really honest, I didn't like it. I thought it was unnecessary. I thought it was extremely unnecessary in the context of if you didn't like what the Ducks were doing in the second period, then there's no way that you can defend or justify, you know, a guy laying a big hit in a 3 nothing game with a minute left that was, you know, clearly decided. It, it didn't need to happen, but the fact that he's playing hard, the fact that he's playing all the way to the whistle, and it was a clean hit, I guess, you know, I thought he left his feet, but the referees didn't penalize him for charging or anything like that, so, you know, you want to see, you know, guys playing hard and making it hard for the other team and you know ryan mcgill said this after the game players on opposing teams know where Braden mcnab is on the ice and you know that's a positive that's a good thing for Braden mcnab gives him a little bit more room out there sometimes oh no doubt about it with that kind of hit if it does nothing else it sends a message that Braden mcnab will mix it up i did think it was a charging penalty but again uh it does the, the knights have protection they, they basically say look we don't have ryan reeves anymore but uh, we can still mix it up with the best of them. Final thing to discuss is the goaltending. Um, I, I think I, I, I don't want to say that I'm pleasantly surprised because I knew Robin Leonard had this disability. I think with Laurent Grossois, probably maybe a little bit more surprised at how well he plays at times. Last night, and Chris, I'll ask you this question. Last night, um, he only faced 16 shots. Let in one goal at the very end. They almost got his shutout at um uh, Getzloff doesn't put in a, a goal with under 12 seconds to go. But the thing what I loved about Brossois is it is sometimes tougher when you face fewer shots to stay sharp and focused. Where on the other side, 
I mean, the Knights had 45 shots on goal, so three times as many as the Ducks. But Brossois's play, I thought, was really respectable, especially since there were times he did nothing for a while, then all of a sudden the Ducks would get a quality scoring chance, and he'd have to come up big, Chris, and he did. You there? Hello? What's up for Chris? I was waiting for Chris. Uh, to uh, uh, yeah, well, yeah, go yeah. ahead. You yeah, can yeah. answer the you can answer the question, David. I was, I was waiting, waiting for Chris. You might have gone to the bathroom. Well, yeah. I mean, I think you know. I'll defend Robin Leonard a little bit. I mean, I'm certainly not surprised in his play, and I think you could probably argue. You know, the numbers are a little bit skewed against him, and but I, I still think there's even some room, you know, for improvement on his part. I think he would say that as well. I think he was, you know, even facing up to the music a lot before he was injured. Uh, here before the break and all that certainly said, you know, bottom line, too many goals and, and all that. But, you know, early on, I thought when they needed him to play well, he did. He kept them in games uh, and and one, you know, one or two of them as well, you know, pretty much on his own. I think, you know, Brossois, in a weird way, they they paid him a lot of backup money. You know, you you look at what his what his salary cap hit is compared to, you know, other backup goalies around the league. And, you know, I think there was an an expectation that he would maybe play a little bit more than the backups for the Knights have in the past, other than last season when, you know, Leonard and Flurry were at least, you know, earmarked to split things before Leonard got hurt with his concussion. Um, you know, Bristol, I think has been a little bit up and down at times, but you know, that can happen. The backup goaltender. Certainly it's been an area except for last year that the Knights, you know, maybe have looked at as a weakness. Uh, Malcolm Subban was pretty good that first year, but you know, after that, the Knights' backup goaltending has, has been a little bit suspect. So I think for them to be able to, one, you know, get Laurent Brossois some games here, get him some action, get him into a little bit of a rhythm, you know, but to get solid or reliable, you know, backup goaltending the way that they have this year has, has been a big key, and, and it's something that they're going to need going forward. No question about it. But you've got to have two goaltenders to get through the, the tournament that is the Stanley Cup uh, playoffs, and if you want to win the thing, Typically, as far back as I can remember, David, uh, the best teams and the teams that have won it always had a very hot net binder, and that's what you do. But, you know, dating back as long as you can remember, a hot goaltender can take you farther in the sport of hockey than any one single player can take you in any other sport, in any other team sport, I should say. Pretty incredible. So, David, one game into this eight-game home set, two, two final questions for you. And again, we are talking with David Shane, the Las Vegas Houston Journal, uh, covers the Vegas Golden Knights here in Las Vegas. Uh, the two questions are one game in to eight game homestand, which to me is huge. What do you think? And that's the, the second part of this question. To get eight games at home after an extended break like this, is that something good for you? Or is that maybe too much of a comfort level being at home for all that time? Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because it was supposed to be more like, I think it was six. And then those two games in Canada um, got postponed. So it, So like you said, it turns into like, an eight game homestand that's like three weeks. I know, I know from talking to players in the past, I think once you get to about that two week point, you're at home, you start to get a little antsy and it sounds weird, but they, they like to get on the road. They like to, you know, break up the monotony a little bit, do the, you know, the player bonding, all those sorts of things that, that come with being on the road. So, yeah, I mean, I think it, it you know, for right now, it's probably a good thing. I think it's a, a chance for them to, to really maybe create some some separation in the Pacific Division. Obviously, the games in hand are, you know, a little skewed. Um, you know, teams like Calgary or I think it was like five points back last time, but maybe six. Um, but but it's like five games in hand, something like that, that that eventually all that, that gap is going to close. And Pete DeBoer even mentioned that. So, yeah, for right now, I think, you know, as the Knights are a little banged up and, and trying to accumulate points and trying to put themselves – you know, in a good position for the second half of the season to be at home, to have the home fans and, and ice, everything that comes with it, you know, it's probably a little bit of an advantage for them right now, despite how long, you know, they'll be here. Well, I agree. Today, it, it, they pick back up again today. First game of the new year will be at T-Mobile Arena at 1 o'clock this afternoon Pacific time as they host the Winnipeg Jets. A lot of games all coming up in a very short period of time. And like I said, what's cool for Vegas Golden Knights fans this is a week to go get tickets to a game. A lot of former Vegas Golden Knights favorites will be in town to play 
back for the first time for a few of them at T-Mobile, which is pretty cool. He is David Shane with the Las Vegas Review Journal. David, always appreciate you joining the show and getting up a little extra early on Sunday morning for us. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Enjoy. Happy New Year again, and that was David Shane again with the Review Journal. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump right into this, and uh, and again, I took a little bit longer on that segment, but uh, I just am so impressed with the Vegas Golden Knights, and every year giving this city, this community, something so special that if you haven't been involved around sports or you are moderately, you might not realize how unique and rare it is for five seasons now to have this kind of success, especially not being the displaced team, but being a team that absolutely actually formed. I understand they were given all kinds of advantages being the only team coming into the expansion in 2017, so they did get their pick of the litter. But still, come on, you still have to orchestrate, put this team together, get them to play well together, and most importantly, find ways to win on a consistent level. And the Vegas Golden Knights have done that year in and year out, giving this town and this community something to really root for in their first ever um, major league professional sports franchise. Really cool, and uh, I know that I speak for everyone out here. If you're a Golden Knights fan, you've got to be proud of them. Hey, um, let's let's fly, Spencer. One thing I want—I I, want, know that you had waiting for us. And before we leave this segment, go ahead. Uh, I want to give it to—I uh, want to give it to Brosois because he was just under 11 seconds from getting a shutout yesterday, or I should say, uh, Saturday morning at T-Mobile, Friday morning at T-Mobile Arena. Uh, check this out. Wrist shot blocked. Lateri centers loose pocket in the middle. Score. That was the only thing left in this game was could Lauren Brossois hold the shutout, but Ryan Getzlaff breaks the attempt with 11 and a half seconds left. 11 and a half seconds to go. It's okay, uh, Laurent Brossois. You did a hell of a job, and uh, I think one of the better backups in the National Hockey League. And the end of the game seems to be gaining more confidence and getting better, and uh, he's got a hell of a team playing in front of him. Let's switch over, guys, uh, to, to UNLV basketball. UNLV's five-game winning streak came to an end yesterday in their Mountain West Conference opener against uh, San Diego State, uh, who was missing two starters. They were basically without a point guard. UNLV played well for most of the game. When I say played well, they were in the game uh, for most of the game. They lost by single digits. Um, but I don't know. Uh, Chris, if, if, you're, if you're there now, what, what do you think? I mean, is UNLV who you expected them to be? They've got some really cool players that have transferred in here. A guy like Williams, who I think is, is going to be a stud in the Mountain West Conference anyways, a good ball player. Some other guys like Jordan McCabe, U2 Sensation, didn't really play much at West Virginia, but is getting the point here at UNLV. But now looking at this team that's been constructed by Kevin Kruger, kind of makeshift, went and really used the portal well. Is, are they what you expected? I didn't really know what to expect going in, to be honest. I will say this. I don't think they're very good. Um, I think they're average which probably is 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 what they've shown. Uh, they've beaten the teams they're supposed to beat. They've lost to the good teams on their schedule. In fact, may, maybe you could say yesterday's game was close. I know they went about six and a half minutes towards the very end of that game without without scoring uh, outside of the Wichita State game. And by the way, I, I saw Wichita State was blown out yesterday by uh, Memphis. So I don't know how good Wichita State was. But um, you know, the, the, to be honest with you, Brian, I, I I really, I I can't put my finger on it. I I just like I said, I don't think they're very good. I think they're probably average. And uh, you know, at that at that point, um, you know, I, I I don't really know what to expect because I just don't really feel like they're capable of of putting together a string of victories in this conference to where you feel that they're a legit contender to win the conference. And I don't really know if if they're bad enough to where you're going to be like angry at the program. I just feel like they're average. And, and quite honestly, I, I don't really know what, what else to think of it because, you know, like I said, they, I, I just don't know how, how good they are. They just don't seem like they're very consistent and, and they don't beat the good teams and they, they beat the bad teams. So bang average is right about where, where I put them. Yeah. And I think, you know, discipline, coaching, all those things. And I, I, I really like Kevin Kruger. I, I think he will step up his game and continue to morph into a, a decent college basketball coach. But a couple things that were really bothersome watching the game yesterday, you know, Roy Sam Jr., all kinds of ability on the glass, double digits in rebounding again. But there are some times where he completely looks lost, literally lost in space. 
Uh, yesterday, he, he gets into the paint. Uh, it's in the second half. They're down by, I believe, four points. It's a big possession, and he completely gets walled off by Bradley. The, 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 the proper play was to kick the ball outside. I saw Jordan McCabe wide, wide open on the wing. Instead, he tried to dribble and penetrate, got nowhere, and lost the basketball. Those kind of things can't happen. When you are cut off by a bigger man, I understand you're the leading rebounder. You feel tall, but you've got to give up the rock. Well, and, and, and those the, kind of things have to ha- start happening. I, I think the thing is, we, we, we kind of look at this team and we're like, all right, Donovan Williams and Bryce Hamilton are the two guys who are going to have to lead the team. The thing is, those two guys both had, I, I, I would say, well, I, I would say good games, but they didn't get much else from, from anyone else on the team. Nuga had, had some, some big baskets early on. Uh, Baker had a couple baskets in the first half, but after that, those guys kind of went invisible in, in the second half, and maybe that's a credit to just how good San Diego State is defensively. But my my big concern is the fact that they played an okay game against a team that's probably going to be in the top two or three of of the conference. But it was the little things down the stretch that that I think hurt them. Um, you know, you can't go six and a half minutes without a basket when you're when you're within you know two or three possessions of of a school like San Diego State. Um, which is what they did at the end of that game yesterday. Donovan Williams and, and Bryce Hamilton, they, they combined for 31 of UNLV's 55 points. But, but yep. after that, you, you have to wonder, where is the scoring going to come from on this team? And where where are you going to get consistent play? Because it seems like it's those two guys night in, night out. And then there's really not much else. Royce Hamm, remember, he had that massive game in game one against Gardner-Webb. And and other than that, you, you you really have to really search to find a game where he's been a dominating presence because uh, he he really hasn't been. And I think we kind of expected it from him. He's the guy who I think needs to be that third player on this team to 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 give them a boost night in night out, especially if if you're not getting it from Williams or or Hamilton. And you know, remember we had a game earlier in the year where those two guys each went for thirty, but. You, you, you need someone else because those two can't do it alone. And I, I, I think Donovan Williams, you know, he, he's a good, fun player. But I think there, there's some some defensive questions there, uh, especially he, he does seem to get into foul trouble a little bit, although I don't think he was yesterday. But I, I don't know, Brian. I, I just don't know if this is a team that we're going to feel is capable of winning and being in the top four or five of the Mountain West. If they're, if they, they, they need to find a way to beat a team that they're not supposed to beat. And they have yet to do that. I couldn't agree with you more, Chris. Royce Ham Jr. Aside from rebounding is going to have to give them some more of an offensive presence. Jordan McCabe, we saw at times, especially in that Wichita state game, how special he can be with his ability to distribute the basketball. The problem is it's not consistent, and sometimes he goes back to those YouTube sensation days when he's in high school and tries to do way too much, almost as if he was showing off. That is definitely not going to work because he's not good enough to show off at this level. And Kashawn Gilbert's another guy that I think over time, staying healthy, he's a true freshman, 6'4 guard out of St. Louis. I like the kid and think that he has potential to be a decent Mountain West player and a contributor down the road as well. Next game is a week there all the way till Saturday to wait for Air Force. The game against San Jose State was postponed. So Air Force right now, 8-4. and four, They're 5-0 and oh at home. That is going to be a tough road to haul for UNLV, well, but I think it, it'll be a good parameter. The, you got, uh, Spencer, the, I'll, the I'll bring about, you on in this one. The thing you about that game, Brian. Games, uh, you know, five wins at home for Air Force, 8-4. and four. Air Force is a team definitely improved from last year, but I still think if UNLV is going to even be middle of the road in the Mountain West, they got to find a way to win this game on the well, the good thing is you have a week to prepare for Joe Scott's offense, so that that's going to be a good a good thing for the Rebels, right? Because you don't have that midweek game against San, San Jose State, so you know you're going to go from one really good defensive team right to another, but a team that kind of runs a, a, a gimmicky offense. So having that extra few days to prepare for that and that only, I think that's a that's actually an advantage for UNLV. Well, it's going to be interesting, and 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 I think UNLV does have the ability to finish in the middle of the road in the Mountain West. From what I've seen and read about and done my little bit of due diligence preseason, we will see, but they are going to have to play great. And the reason I give them that kind of credibility is because I think Bryce Hamilton, although we do not see it on a consistent basis, has NBA ability. We have seen moves that only NBA players can make. 
and Bryce Hamilton has that in his in his toolbox. Uh, Donovan Williams has turned out to be a, a, a bright star, or I should say a bright spot, and is without question the, turned into the second-best player in this team. He's going to have to get compliments. But when it's all said and done, Chris, we talked about in the beginning, UNLV is going to go as far as Bryce Hamilton. It looks like Donovan Williams can take him, period. And that's going to be the way that it is. Um, real quickly, moving over, uh, Spence, if you got it, go ahead and hit fact this. Fact this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Yeah, it's a fact. After Friday night's college football's national semifinal games, it was proven to everyone what most experts already knew, that there are and have been only two legitimate teams good enough to win the national championship. This means that, as expected, we will have an all-SEC national championship game between Alabama and Georgia a week from Monday at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Spencer, I'll start with you on this one. Um, I, I really thought we would see a better game from Michigan against Georgia, but I think we really learned uh, on Friday that Alabama and Georgia are the clear-cut two best teams in the country. Yeah, well, just quickly, you know, the bottom line is Alabama and Georgia have been the two best teams in the country, and, you know, I, they want to expand the college football playoffs, which I could, from a money standpoint, but so far, like, the whole system that's been trying out, like, the best teams always make it. There's less, like, when it comes to, like, basketball, there's lots of upsets, like, anything can happen. Football, there's just, it's just such a big operation. It's so hard to, you know, make those upsets. So, but I'm excited because I think it's, it is the proper matchup, and, you know, the last time they met, Alabama won, but they were desperate, right? Because if Alabama lost, they may have missed out on the college football playoff. So I think we're going to see a real even game. And I have no idea who's going to win. Oh, that, that is a little bit surprising. I, I can't see as good as Georgia looked against Michigan. I have seen Michigan flat at times and Michigan made mistakes. They didn't play well enough defensively. They got behind in the game early. All the cardinal mistakes you don't want to make against a very sound defensive team that has offensive prowess as well. Michigan did, but that Alabama game, Georgia, it has to be still playing a little bit in Georgia's mind because it wasn't a terrible game, but Alabama on that day was clearly the better football team. And Georgia's quarterback sets and looked out of, out of sorts in that game on a couple of times, like a walk-on, which is what he initially was. So the question to you is, is can Georgia with the prowess, Nick Saban, now Kirby Smart, I'm not going to say he's intimidated. He's not. He's also one of the better coaches in the country. And he, this Georgia program has, has been a fine tool machine underneath him. But do you really think Georgia's got enough to beat this Alabama team where they're at right now? I mean, the SEC is different, I think, when it comes to all the conferences. And that's probably because I'm from the South and I'm a big Ole Miss fan. But I really do believe anything can happen. And I think, you know, Georgia's defense is stout enough to, uh, you know, make a difference in this game. Look, Alabama obviously is going to be a favorite from a betting standpoint. But, you know, I'd be really interested in putting some money on Georgia. Nothing would surprise me. Interesting. I like Alabama on the money line. But then again, I couldn't pick my nose with a back scratcher this year. So I'm, I, don't listen to me, whatever you do. Um, just real quickly, a couple of other bowl games. Interesting game in Notre Dame, Oklahoma State. I liked Oklahoma State in the game. Obviously, early, I didn't like Oklahoma State. But then they complete tying for the second biggest comeback in bowl history. Only one point behind Joe Montana's 23-point comeback in the Cotton Bowl in 1979. I mean, pretty damn impressive what Oklahoma State did. And they've done this kind of thing all year. What's made them such a good, formidable team in the Big 12 is their resiliency, their ability to fight back, and their ability to win close games. They did it again. They fought back with all their heart, held on, and beat the Irish, who were clearly the number five team in the country going into this uh you know, going into the into the, the bowl season. So huge, big, impressive win for Oklahoma State. Maybe the best Cowboy, Oklahoma State Cowboys team I've seen since they had a little guy named Barry Sanders playing for them. Hello? Oh, yeah, I, I actually did watch the end of that game. It was really entertaining, Brian. Um, I didn't see the full comeback, but, uh, you know, it, I think you can get really complacent in these bowl games, and those kids won't realize it until afterwards what they had just lost, those Notre Dame players. But, you know, nonetheless, uh, the Oklahoma City um, you know, State quarterback played a heck of a game, and, and that's what it takes, man, and, and that's what makes bowl season so special. Maybe not at the top like we talked about, 
how there's less questions. But, you know, once you get to the lower bowl games, you know, these kids play with a lot of pride, and you just really have to appreciate that. Well, you do. And, well, you know, it is college, and the next thing I'm going to say is going to be the most controversial thing I said on the show for a while. Hopefully Magnum doesn't cringe back to the stadium. But, you know, it's about betting on sports and stuff. And you have the Las Vegas Bowl going on in Allegiant Stadium. I have never heard a team that, that, that won the game like the Wisconsin Badger fans at the end of the game, I could hear them booing. Like walking around, you could hear Wisconsin. Do you want to know why they were booing? Well, the line opened up with Wisconsin being favored by six and a half. By the time the line closed before the game, it was Wisconsin by eight and a half. Paul Christ had every opportunity to put some more points on the board. And all he needed was another field goal. And they went, I know that we're not supposed to care about any of this. I understand football. That's why I said it's a little bit taboo and it might make you cringe out there. But let's be realistic. You're in Las Vegas. It's a Las Vegas Bowl. We all know what Las Vegas mainly represents. It's gambling. You know that there's not one Wisconsin fan that came to this town that bet on Arizona State. Now, if you bet Wisconsin early, while it was still six and a half and seven, you made some money. Maybe you bought down, a, a good friend of mine bought down a half a point and won a lot of money taking six and a half. However, if you bet it at seven and a half plus and you came all this way and you put a decent amount on the game, because I think a lot of people felt pretty good about Wisconsin, you were extremely disappointed at the end of the game. It kind of took the shine off of that victory. So, so that's all. Both you guys comment on this before we get to the NFL. But again, I, we're not looking for politically correct answers. What do you think? If you're the coach, you know this. I mean, you're right there. I understand why you don't want to take another snap. You might fumble the football. But come on, man. You know what the lines are. I don't care what anybody says. And you know you've got a ton of fans that made this trip that want to win their bet. And all you got to do is kick a flip and a field goal. Well, you I know, didn't bet on them, so I'm not upset at all. It has nothing to do with me. I just never have heard fans that traveled across the country to see a game boo their own team for winning. And I heard it in that game. Spencer, your thoughts? I know Chris has some thoughts, too. But I think context is key in this game, too. Because um, there are a lot of really weird things. And, I, and Magnum had, had pointed out that, uh, you know, Wisconsin had zero yards in the second half leading up to that, in that last drive. And the only reason they didn't kick the field goal was because of um, an Arizona State guy offsides on a third and four in the red zone. And then the, when the play happened, it, after it had happened, they had stopped them. It would have been fourth down. And then they got into there. And, and it was one of those weird things. And, in, and the funny thing also is that if there was even just maybe two more seconds on the clock, that last play that would have also been a field goal. It's one of the weirdest games at the margin I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. yeah. No, I, agree with you. I agree with you. Chris, before I, I got to tell you, Herm Edwards said in the press conference after the game, we were there. He said they, he wanted to let Wisconsin score, which made sense to all of us. You were going to need two scores at that point anyway. So what's the difference if it's two touchdowns or a touchdown and a field goal? You don't have any time. They should have let him score. Now, if, if your head coach instructs your defensive coordinator who instructs your defense to let him walk into the end zone, I don't want to say I don't believe Herm Edwards, but then why the hell did they make the tackle at the two-yard line? Because he sure didn't go down. He got tackled. Well, Brian, I, I think like Spencer said, there, there's a lot of context in this. Here, here here's, here's I'm going to defend Paul Christ here. Um, look, you're, you're only up seven. Strange things have happened where teams have lost games in that situation, right? Where he brings out the field goal unit. What if that kick is blocked and returned for a touchdown? All of a sudden, you're tied, and you're probably going into overtime. I don't care what anybody says about bowl games being meaningless. Coaches and players, once they step on the field, they want to win games. And that was the only thing that mattered to Wisconsin, was making sure that they won that game. Look, I'm not sure, you know, I know what Herm said. You and I were both in that press conference, and he said that, you know, they, they they wanted to let Wisconsin score. And then he also added the caveat, but I'm sure they instructed their guy not to go in the end zone. At the end of the day, I kind of feel like the score was justified. Wisconsin, zero yards in the second half until that final drive. They completed a miracle, what was it, 35, 40-yard completion on third and like 15, 16 where the quarterback got absolutely crushed when he dropped back to pass. I mean, Arizona State really didn't do anything to justify. They they, they had that punt, got it down. Remember, here's here's another key play. 
that that we haven't brought up. Arizona State punts the ball with about 10 minutes to go in that game. What was it? Nine, nine and a half minutes to go in the game. Their punter gets smashed. In my opinion, it was roughing the kicker, not running into the kicker. It should have been an automatic first down because, look, the kicker got absolutely, or the punter got absolutely taken out on that play. Arizona State brings out the kicker because the punter was injured. He pins them down at the three yard line. You got nine and a half minutes to go in that game. If I'm Arizona State, I'm thinking, hey, all I need is a defensive stop, and we're right back in this game, and we're going to tie it. They never got that stop. So it it, it was just a a game that I I feel like, look, the odds makers just got it right, and that happens sometimes. I mean, it happens a lot. There's a reason why even the best bettors are only winning on good – in good years, like 50, 55%, because a lot of us, including the guys who are really, really good at this, they lose a lot. Uh, yeah. Well, no, no, they do, Chris. And, and what, what I will say, though, is that, that is very true. But the biggest money that comes to programs from the universities are their boosters. Boosters bring big money to the programs because they have big money. Well, yeah, of My course, of course. The boosters that came out to Las Vegas probably bet big money on Wisconsin and might have been the people booing. You don't want to piss your boosters off. I'll just say that. I'll leave it there like well, that. You and I'm I, were, you and I, were, I were both at... I would have done the same thing. You and but I were, were, were both at the game where Michigan played UNLV in basketball earlier this year, and we heard a large contingent of cheers when UNLV fouled Michigan. What was it, up 12 with uh, like three seconds to go in the game? Yeah. Because of because of the spread. Oh, they knew. <laughs> yep. Well, that's what I'm saying, and uh, you know, we'll leave that alone. Like I said, it's not really a controversial subject. I'm not disagreeing with what Chris did. I'm just saying that I know he's getting some flack for that back in Wisconsin. He will continue to get some because, again, you know, you come out here of all the bowls, it's the Vegas Bowl. You want your team to win to cover the spread. It's just that simple. And he, he accomplished half. The, the bigger half is obviously winning. But enough uh, enough of that. Uh, you know, again. Um, it was a good. It was a lot of fun to go out there and see my first bowl game at Allegiant Stadium. What a tremendous venue! I think we all enjoyed it tremendously. Real quickly, let's get over to the bones. It is time for the Las Vegas Raiders and to talk about them as we got about seven minutes left to go on the show. Um, the Raiders have now won two in a row. Two games I think we all expected to win. The games that they did, at least I expected them to win those two games. Um, and so you know, but did I expect them to be eight and seven with two games to go in the season? No, I didn't. Um, I said to me, seven was going to be their, their cap on the most they can win. They've already exceeded what I thought by a game. So, um, Spencer, Mr. Raider, uh, this is gigantic. The Raiders actually control their own destiny. Two huge games. They've got to play the red-hot Indianapolis Colts, nine wins. Carson Wentz back from COVID protocol. He'll be playing again potentially. We'll see if he's got rust on him or not. And then, of course, the last game of the season, they host division rival, the Chargers, who are also playing for the playoff life right now with the same record as, as the Raiders. Spencer, can the Raiders run the table and make it to the playoffs for the second time since, I think, 2002? Well, I mean, there's no such thing as a bad win in football, but the Raiders are really pushing the envelope when it, when it comes to that kind of um, terminology. Uh, and the thing is, I think the, the two biggest things about the last two games, and you know me, I was Derek Carr's number one detractor for a long time, and then I'm kind of on his side, but the bottom line is he cannot keep playing the way he has the last two weeks. I mean, this turnover bug is going to kill them. We didn't, we weren't, didn't have a show that week, but that last-minute pick against the Cleveland Browns is unacceptable. It wasn't fourth and ten. He was getting sacked, and he just had to chuck it up. It was like first down, and it's double cover. She throws it blindly. And then the fumble against the Broncos and the turn and the, you know, the pick six, it's like, dude, you got to get it together. You know, maybe you don't get 500 yards. We're not, I'm not asking him to be the MVP, but he's got to take care of the football. And if he doesn't do it today, the Raiders are going to get blown out by 30 points. They can, you know, win the last two games, but they could also get blown out by 50,000 points too. It's like, this team is so random. But the last thing I want to say about the Raiders is that you have to give so much credit to stand-in coach um, Basaccia because I mean, there's no reason why this team shouldn't have lost out considering everything that had happened. And he, he's, you know, taken some bad losses, but at the end of the day, he's never been a head coach before. And they, and he's demanded the respect of his players. And he's putting out a product that at least puts them in position to be in a playoff spot, which I never thought in a million years would happen. 
minus all the controversies here. So considering everything that's happened, it, it's truly incredible. Well, well said, that's that's true. True. I think Rich Versace has done a great job, but what I will say also is he will not be the head coach of the Raiders next year. I don't care if they win these last. Put it this way. They make a run for the Super Bowl, or even if they win a playoff game, I think he would be the head coach. But I think that's what it would take for him to be the head coach next year. I think they want to get somebody that's, 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 on the, that's right on the brink, and that's a guy like Eric Um That being said, real quickly, I did want to say Dan Reeves passed away yesterday. Second big name in football, John Madden, of course, recently two huge names in the NFL. Uh, condolences to him and his family. And real quickly, uh, as we fly down um, week 19, or I should say, excuse me, week 17, some huge games today besides the Raiders and the Colts game. Biggest game of the day, the Chiefs and the Bengals. If the Chiefs are giving five points in that game, I really like the Bengals. I'll tell you, I criticize them for taking Jamar Chase and not going after a big offensive lineman to help Joe Burrow. You know, hey, he might be the most sacked quarterback in the NFL, but the Chiefs are winning and are one win away and, and, and a little bit of help away from winning the AFC North, which would be unheard of. I mean, I, I just don't think anyone expected them to be that good this quick. They probably got the best wide receiver tandem in the National Football League. Uh, a lot of fun to watch and awesome explosion. And Joe Mixon, not a bad running back either. I like the, not only the Bengals to cover this win, or cover in this game, but I like them to win it outright. The Dolphins and Titan Ryan Tannehill, first time playing his old team, spent his first seven years with the Dolphins. Dolphins could become, if they win today, the first team in NFL history to lose seven games, it's to lose seven consecutive games and then win seven consecutive games in the same season. That's never happened before. I don't think the Dolphins win their seventh consecutive today. The Rams and the Ravens, a lot of people anticipating this game with or without Lamar Jackson. The Ravens are going to have some trouble. The Rams' defense is really good, and the Rams, of course, control their own destiny as well to, uh, to win, I should say, you know, to win the NFC West, uh, which should be interesting. Green Bay, of course, owns their destiny to win uh, the NFC period outright, but that should be a really good game. And uh, uh, one of two other games, obviously, the Cardinals and the Cowboys, huge game for the Cardinals. Tyler Murray has got a right to ship somehow, and that's going to be a tough place to write it in Dallas. And then, of course, uh, the Monday night game, uh, the Browns and the Steelers, probably Ben Roethlisberger's last game at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh. For that reason, I like the Steelers winning and going 8-7-1 and one and potentially staying in the playoff picture. It would be kind of a good thing for Ben's thing. Uh, uh, and finally, last thing, Spencer, I'll let you talk about this before we close. Becky Hammond, the new coach of the Las Vegas Aces. I know you're a big WNBA guy. You get about 45 seconds. Pops. Becky Hammond, new coach. She wanted to land beer out for a while. Are you happy? Couldn't be happier. She deserves an NBA job, and they gave her the biggest contract for a WNBA coach in history, which she absolutely deserves, and they gave her the GM spot. You know, goodbye, Bill Ambeer. I mean, it was cool that you were here. Everybody loved you, but it wasn't. I wasn't on that list, but uh, I think I already put money on the Aces to win the championship this year, which I think they will. We'll see. Becky Hammond in. We'll find out what happens with Liz Campage. She's the big question mark going into the season. want to thank everyone and uh, wish you all a very happy and healthy New Year. Thank David Shane of the Review Journal. Spencer, the Wiz Ostrowski, and of course, our, our uh, producer, Chris Magnum Chaffin, back in the studio. Appreciate y'all. We'll see you next Sunday. Bye bye.